Chapter 3 I told Hawksworth I'd return shortly, and a few minutes later I met Detective Joe Barnes down one of the more deserted streets in the flats where Sarah's burned vehicle was discovered. The crowd was gathering outside the yellow tape line, so EMTs hung a sheet over the open trunk to hide the body within. So what happened here? I asked, sidling up next to Barnes. Barnes was the kind of flatfoot you saw in old noir movies. He would have worn a pork pie hat and tied his trench coat belt in a knot had he been born fifty years earlier. He was my sergeant while I was on the force and way past retirement, but he was still a good cop. He didn't have anything else in his life except the job. Today, Barnes wore an FPD polo shirt and khakis, his service weapon and his badge hanging on his belt. I don't know. Barnes said, using the pencil in his hand to scratch an armpit. The fire department got the call on a car fire, fully engulfed, about 20 minutes ago. It wasn't until the fire was out that they discovered the body in the trunk. So why do you think it's a female body? The only recognizable things left were a pair of semi-melted breast implants, Barnes said. We'll trace the identification numbers on the implants to see what surgeon inserted them on what patient. That should give us some concrete identification until we get some DNA or dental records back. When we ran the vehicle's identification number, it came back to your client. Or at least Alicia said she was your client. Why would Alicia concern herself with a damn car fire? After all her nasty phone calls, it was hard to keep the irritation out of my voice. Barnes shrugged. She wasn't, directly. One of the cops who went on that spectacular bender with you a couple days ago at La Dolce Vita... Steve Jones, and the one who found the fire. Apparently this guy knew the story because he had heard it from you and Alicia, so when I called Alicia and asked her about Sarah Hunter Pelfrey, that's when she told me, quote, ask that asshole Fitz, unquote. I know you too well, Fitz. What happened that night to piss Madam Prosecutor off? I sighed heavily and ignored the question. If you talk to Officer Jones, you know Sarah wasn't just my client. She was supposed to testify against that murder suspect Pablo Hernandez on Wednesday, so she was technically the prosecutor's client. After he changed his plea to guilty, her testimony wasn't needed. Alicia had arranged for her to go into witness protection, but Sarah refused. I last saw Sarah when I dropped her off at her apartment, which is just a couple blocks from here. Her father owns full-bore drilling. He hasn't seen her in two days, either, and hired me to find her. I was at one of his drill sites when you called. Barnes nodded. And strictly as a professional investigator and former cop, would you say Miss Pelfrey had any outstanding physical attributes? Are you asking if she had big tits? Hell yes, she did. Fucking porn star knockers, if you ask me. I was a breast man. I always have been. But there was nothing attractive about Sarah Hunter Pelfrey. Maybe it was the self-stupefying effects of too much meth. Maybe, as her father said, she was just dumb as dirt. Or maybe in my grief over losing Gracie, I just didn't care anymore. Ones that could have been, shall we say, surgically enhanced? It's entirely possible. That's not something I normally ask my clients. Anything else in particular about the body you need to know? It looks like the body was bound with duct tape. Hands, feet, legs. There was also duct tape across the mouth. I exhaled. It wasn't going to be difficult for the cops to pin this murder. And it probably was Sarah's body in that trunk on one of Hernandez's associates. This was most likely retribution for Sarah's offer to testify. 
The trick would be tracking them down. If this was her, it was going to be difficult to tell Chase Hawksworth that his daughter was dead. And fortunately for me, not a job I had to do anymore. I hated making notifications to family members while I was a cop. Hey, wait a minute. I just thought of something. I grabbed Barnes by the arm. Her father told me that he paid to fix her teeth after she came out of rehab. I remember her upper teeth had been fixed, but not her lower teeth. I should give you a little bit more to go on. So what were her teeth like? Barnes asked. Dentures? I don't know if they were dentures or implants or what. Mary Margaret stayed in the hotel room with her. She could tell you more about Sarah's dental hygiene and whether or not she kept her teeth in a glass beside the bed. From what I could see, her lower teeth looked like any other idiot crackhead I've ever dealt with. Brown, rotted, or broken off. I bet there weren't more than half a dozen intact lower teeth in her jaw. I left Dr. Lamberto, the coroner, check before we attempt to make a notification. He's on his way. He should be here in a few minutes. If her dental work matches your description, we'll contact the next of kin. Let me know if you hear anything. I got back in the excursion and headed out. No need for me to hang around when the FPD no longer paid my salary. How Sarah Pelfrey ended up living in this neighborhood, best known for the Krauts, the Poles, and the Hunkies who populated it, was probably a function of her addiction. Over the years, I'd seen the flats, which was down by the river that ran through town, go from a fairly decent working-class neighborhood to Fawcettville's most clearly delineated slum after the steel mills closed. It was one of several ethnic neighborhoods in town. The hillbillies, the blacks, and the Mexicans lived out toward the edge in a ratty neighborhood that ran up next to the mills in the industrial area called Tubman Gardens. The Irish had their little piece of heaven they called Galway. My Fitzhugh grandparents lived there, but my mother, Maria Galeone Fitzhugh, insisted that we live among her family in the new Tivoli neighborhood. My father, FPD Sergeant Aiden Fitzhugh, couldn't say no to that. It led to us being referred to as the only Mick family on the block. I lived in New Tivoli, either in my parents' home or an apartment of my own until I married Gracie and moved into the Tudor-style house she owned in overwhelmingly white-bred University Heights, where most of the college professors lived. I treasured the memories I had with Gracie, but New Tivoli would always be my home, simple as that. Farther away from the river, up the steep eastern Ohio hills that rose above Fawcettville, was where the doctors, the lawyers, folks with degrees and letters after their names lived in big, sprawling houses. It was a symbol that you'd made it when you could leave the old brick streets with their wooden houses and tiny yards and move to the suburbs on the hills. Most of the folks I grew up with left town as soon as they got the chance. I wasn't much different, but I never wanted to leave Fawcettville after I came back. I did a four-year hitch in the Air Force as a security police officer. That's where I learned how to be a cop. What I never learned was how to keep my pecker in my pants. I could have spent 20 years in the Air Force, except for the attention of the wrong wing commander's wife. What my resume didn't include was that I joined the Air Force after I ruined my chances at a full-ride scholarship at Kent State, that time with a football coach's wife. And two days after I passed my 20-year anniversary with the Fawcettville Police Force, I abruptly retired before the chief could fire me for doing his wife. I'd long said that my own proclivities made me successful in chasing down errant husbands for local divorce attorneys. I knew how they thought. I knew what they were after. And now I knew what it felt like to be pursued. Yeah, imagine that. A hairy, middle-aged little wop like me chased by a lady lawyer.
I suppose I owed Alicia a phone call explaining my behavior, if I could remember it. It had been a long, ghastly year. Six months after Gracie's funeral, Ma died. I remember the funeral mass at St. Rita's Catholic Church, filled with pasta and marinara, Dean Martin and Jerry Vale songs playing on her old stereo record player, and way too much Dago Red. I barely remember the wake. I returned to the house in University Heights to grieve, seldom going out to do the stuff I used to do, sitting and watching games in bars like La Dolce Vita or even attending the family's Sunday pasta meals. The meals had been a tradition while Mom and Dad were both alive, and now rotated among my siblings, organized by my oldest sister. Chrissy had children of her own, who were grown or nearly grown, and stepping out into the wide world. As everyone circled around each family's dining room table, I stayed home, unable to deal with my family as they yelled about politics, sports, and God knows what else over steaming bowls of pasta. Instead, I sat in the dark on my couch, nursing a beer and watching the Cavaliers or Indians get their asses kicked on a regular basis. Their perpetual losing season seemed to mirror my life. Maybe I didn't need to be so hard on myself. Maybe it was to be expected of a man like me who's gone from being entirely too social to being a total hermit. Maybe I was just hungry for someone's touch, reaching out after a rough spell. But what would I say to Alicia? And what did she expect? I wasn't ready to date. And if I was, would I even want to ask her? Should I? We had a professional relationship that I didn't want to jeopardize, but clearly I already had. Maybe I just needed to man up, go to her office, close the door, and beg for her forgiveness. In many ways, I needed Alicia more than she needed me, at least financially. Business was good, but why jeopardize the possibility of getting more work? Whatever was going on with Sarah Hunter Pelfrey was the responsibility of the FPD right now. I turned left at the next stop sign and headed downtown. I have to do this at some point, I rationalized. I have to apologize. I parked in the public lot across the street from the courthouse and, sucking up my nerves, walked up the stone steps. I don't know who designed the courthouse that sat in the center of Fossaville all those years ago, but at each of four wide doorways, a pair of figures alternately described by the locals as the Greek gods Neptune or Zeus. I never knew for sure who these shirtless, bearded guys were, except that they stared at me like they knew exactly the kind of jerk I was. As I walked through the doors, today was no different. I pulled my P.I. badge, my wallet and my Glock from inside my jacket, and my car P9 from my ankle holster, tossing them into a gray bin before I went through the metal detector. The deputy nodded at me and I passed through without incident. How's it going, Fitz? I knew most all the law enforcement officers in town and in the county by sight, if not by name, and they knew me. It all turned out for Gracie's funeral. I grimaced opting for the easy response as I returned my weapons to their holsters. Same old, same old. You happen to know if Prosecutor Linnerman is around today? The deputy shrugged. I've seen her around, but I really can't say. She's been in and out all day long. There were three courtrooms on the first floor of the courthouse. One civil court, one family court, which included juvenile, domestic relations, and probate, and common pleas court, where as a cop I regularly testified for the prosecution. More recently, I was a fixture in family court, testifying on behalf of one divorce respondent or another. 
Directly in front of me were the white marble stairs that led to the prosecutor's office on the second floor. I took a deep breath, clutched the white marble railing, and headed upstairs to atone for my sins. Alicia was leaning over one of the assistant prosecutor's desks when I entered. Her cornflower blue eyes hardened behind her black glasses as she caught a glimpse of me. Hey, you got a minute? Without speaking, she nodded and motioned that I follow her into her office. I shut the door behind us. Someone snickered as the door closed. Jesus, God, don't tell me she said something to someone. About the other night, I began. Yeah, what about the other night? Her tone was sharp. I've been trying to get in touch with you for damn near two days. I know, and that's what I'm here to talk about. Honest to God, I don't know what happened, and under any other circumstances, I would not have wanted the evening to end up as it did. What are you saying? You didn't want to have sex with me? After all the conversations we've had over the years, I know that's a bald-faced lie. I suddenly knew how it felt to be cross-examined by her. No, Alicia, I stammered. That's not it at all. It's just that Gracie's only been dead a year. I don't know what your expectations are, but I don't know if I'm ready for any of them. Well, you sure as hell could have fooled me. While we were still at the bar, you had a hand on my ass. You were whispering things that don't come from grieving husbands. You remember that your cop buddies drove your excursion and I brought you home in my VW, right? It was after they left. I was right about to walk out the door and you planted a big wet one on me. As far as I could tell, sex was exactly what you wanted. The memory of pressing Alicia against my front door came into focus. She had both hands on my face as my lips pressed against hers and my hands ran up her thighs. I hung my head in shame. I'm sorry. But you have to admit, as long as we've worked together, you've never made any bones about how you felt about me. Oh, so I'm responsible now. That night was all my fault. Her sarcasm practically dripped onto the floor. No, 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 I'm not saying that at all. I've always thought you were attractive. And yes, we probably flirt back and forth a little more than what could be considered professional. What I'm saying is that even after the other night, I'm not ready for a relationship, if that's what you want. I apologize for what happened, but I'm sorry. I still miss Gracie too much. She was silent for a moment, the hostility gone. I understand, Fitz. I admit, I've got a thing for bad boys. You've always been at the top of that list. I didn't think the night would end that way either. I lifted my head and looked Alicia in the eye. What I don't want to do is jeopardize the relationship we have. I enjoy working with you, and I want that to continue. I just want things to go back to the way they were. If you only knew how badly I want them to be the way they were. All right, I'll make you a deal. Let's forget it ever happened. Let's start again. I'll erase the episode from my mind, if you will. She stepped forward and offered me her hand to shake. Fair enough. Here's to starting again, I said, grasping her soft hand. We stepped closer and I couldn't help inhaling the scent of her perfume. Our eyes met, her lips parted, and, embarrassed at the attraction that crackled between us, I looked away. Alicia dropped my hand and grimaced. Out of embarrassment or frustration, I couldn't tell. My cell phone vibrated in my pocket. It was Barnes. Hey, what's up? 
That body we found in the trunk of Sarah Pelfrey's car, it's not her. Our victim's teeth are perfect, like braces since she was 12 perfect. I put my hand over my phone and whispered the news to Alicia. Damn it, then whose is it? And where the hell is Sarah Pelfrey, and why is the body in her car? She should have taken the protective custody. Alicia pounded her fist on her desk. Shit! I could have had the feds here Wednesday night. I'm gonna bet she's dead. And when the cops find her, she'll be taped up just like our Jane Doe.